0: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, Game over. What's up, everybody? I'm here again for another Montreal Canadiens loss, because that's what we're doing this season. We're doing that almost every game. And uh, we're back to our regular situation of a regulation loss after a couple of games where they actually got some points. But I'm joined by two fabulous guests tonight, Pete Blackburn and Jack Hans. So let's welcome them in right now. How's it going, guys? It's going pretty good
1: for me. I can't speak for you guys, but I'm I'm feeling pretty good tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can yeah, imagine. I mean,
2: yeah. Well. Uh, um... I, I was actually really relieved for Jeff Peachtree because at first I thought he, he slapped the puck right into the goal, but then it went off Coyle's face. So so I'm mostly relieved for him tonight.
0: Yeah, I thought at first that it went off the post and in, like off the post and back off of Montembo and back in. But the fact that it was a pure bad luck play, he can feel a little bit less bad. Because if he were to injure Jake Allen in the last game and then destroy Montembo's life the next game, <laughs> that's a it's a rough couple of days to be jeff petrie yeah i i
1: was also in the boat that i thought that he put it directly in and that's why i immediately tweeted like lmao like <laughs> oh my god uh but i saw the replay it's still it's funny still- to go in off a guy's head not as funny as jeff petrie just putting it directly in his own net yeah it wasn't quite
0: chris russell mm-hmm. but yeah that was that was a was an interesting one to say the least I mean, the Bruins really turned it on after that first period. Like, there can be no debate about that. Like, I thought the Canadians played a pretty good first period overall, uh, kept with them despite the penalties not going their way at all. And the second period on, it was like, I guess the Canadians played all right to start the third in terms of, like, flow of play. But it seemed like they got all the hard breaks that the Bruins kind of earned in the second
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I missed the first period, but it uh, it certainly from when I tuned in, it felt quite uh, quite in the Bruins favor, both in terms of breaks and just driving play. Um, There were there were uh, it was obviously not a perfect game from the Bruins standpoint, but they definitely played better and deserved more than the Canadians did.
2: So the one thing as, as a non Boston person that that's always really uh, struck me about the Bruins throughout the years is uh, like, especially in like the more recent years is like their lineup tonight was really nothing to write home about, but they're able to plug guys in and out throughout the years and, and have them play, you know, at least decently. Right. And, and, you know, keep the wins coming. And the, the one thing I noticed when I watched the Bruins is they're so methodical. Like the Habs, they're they're looking to maybe like win puck battles or create puck races. The Bruins just held on to the puck, super patient with it. Obviously, the the Marchand um, uh, Bergeron passer neckline kind of set the tone, and then you got you got McAvoy, Grizzly, so on. But uh, the new guys who come in, like they're not asked to do a lot. So basically, they got to work hard, sprint to the right spots, and then basically play for a tie and then the big boys, they can kind of take care of things from, from there on in. So there's not a whole lot of, I would say pressure put on, you know, these kind of fringe players. And and I think tonight you see how, um, how well the Bruins carry play overall.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's a good point. Like the Bruins have had this core group for a long time. And those guys always have seemed like regulators where, Uh, you know, if a game is starting to get out of hand, because a lot of the times the people that they plug in are not successful and it doesn't work. And, you know, there are growing pains, but, you know, that top line is unbelievable. It's one of the best in hockey. It is sort of like a regulator line where if things are getting away from the Bruins, they can put that line out there and sort of seize momentum and and grab it back a little bit. Um, And we've seen that a lot. Like as a Bruins fan, I've obviously watched more... Of them than any other team in the league but like so far this year there has been a lot of like the that line going out and scoring then uh you know the ensuing face off they'll stick somebody else out there and they'll immediately give up another goal and you know over the past couple of games it's felt like they've been able to put out other lines after a goal and sort of not immediately give it back which is nice
0: yeah, that is such a luxury that the Bruins have that, uh, I mean, I guess you could say a lot of teams have the luxury to put out their best line, but I don't think a lot of teams have a line that's as complete as that top Bruins line, that's as trusted as that top Bruins line, that not only are they going to control play once the puck is in play, but oftentimes if you're starting with a face-off, you got a damn good chance you're going to win that face-off too with Patrice Bergeron taking it. So it's such an advantage, and they were so great tonight. Uh, they were... Absolutely killer in the second period. They, the like one hitch that they had was at the very end when the Canadians got that uh, nice little go-ahead goal at the end of the period, and they iced it right after, and they put the Bergeron line out, and Nick Suzuki actually won that face-off. It was like the one hitch in their game. The whole game was they lost that one face-off. You know, They called them the perfection line for a reason. I know a lot of Bruins fans actually hate that name, which is funny. Also, am I still here? Yeah. Okay, my uh, my computer is
1: going absolutely nuts right now, and I have no idea what's happening, but I can't Red see you. Red lights flashing. I'm, gla- I'm glad that I'm still here, but I cannot see you.
0: <laughs> no, I can still see you, still here, yeah. Okay, great. Everything's all good. Uh, To circle back to the Habs a little bit, uh, one guy who impressed me pretty much all game, and maybe it could be due to low expectations, but I thought Ryan Paling had a really strong game tonight. He was on the puck, very strong, uh, continually getting into traffic, closing off passing lanes, especially in the offensive zone. He seemed to prolong plays pretty consistently. Uh, they didn't end up getting anything done on the scoreboard, but I thought another strong game from Paling after netting his first goal last night.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I like that line. And historically, I'm not the biggest Paling booster. In fact, I think if you ask me. Uh, most people on Twitter, you know, they would say that I I don't like his game at all, but the thing with paling is, you know, I think physically he's very strong. I think he's very good on, on puck battles down low. The only thing is he just, he cannot carry the puck in the neutral zone. Um, if you, if you go back to shifts, if you're really that into Ryan paling, like watch all of his neutral zone or sorry, watch all of his shift from today and look at all of his neutral zone puck touches, like he'll lose the puck for no reason at times. And as I said, it's because his upper body is really stiff and he's not able to, um, you know, compare it to let's say like a Suzuki or, or even a Gallagher. Like he, he's just really stiff and he kind of overhandles the puck. But when when he's playing down low and playing give and go, especially with two guys like Dvorak and Gallagher, um, that for me, like that's the best spot. And that's possibly the highest up the lineup that you can play him and for him to still be uh, useful. So I honestly, like, I think that's a good line. And I, I like to see that experiment for a good five games because for me, like he's not ready to play center on, on any line. And as a winger, I think he's going to get a lot of touches playing with those two players.
0: Right. And that if Jonathan Drouin out for a little bit longer, obviously that line will stick together. But uh, they're talking about him possibly playing the next game. Speaking of that line, Christian Dvorak... I don't know what you're seeing, Jack, because I know you've got like eyes for the skills coaching and all that, but, uh, man, I just don't, I don't see the offense with Dvorak at all. I I, like look at his stats and they're not spectacular over his career, right? He's never hit 40 points in a year, but the last two years shortened seasons, his like per game numbers are solid last year. He scored 17 and 56, which is like a 24 goal pace. I just I'm shocked watching him play for the Canadians that he scored at a 24-goal pace because, man, he seems so complacent to take shots from the outside, and he just like doesn't have the instinct or creativity to create high-quality opportunities. I'm already almost ready to throw in the towel on that guy. Well,
2: I was actually quite high on him at the start of the season, and, and the thing that really... Uh, that I mentioned uh, on my newsletter post uh, over the summer is he had his best moment in Arizona playing with, uh, I think it was Keller and Kessel, two guys that can carry the puck and two guys that really command the puck. So he can't be the primary puck carrier on his line. If that's him, then he's going to be in trouble because like Suzuki, he doesn't have that kind of separation speed or that dynamic transition skill, right? And if he's playing with Gallagher, I think like I'm I'm comfortable with those two playing in the ozone and cycling and maybe even you know matching up against tough uh, opponents. But Gallagher is more of a dump and chase guy as well, right? So uh, you know Tatar not around anymore. Could have been a fit there. Um, Caulfield's out in the AHL. Like maybe Josh Anderson, but Josh Anderson not really a passer. And Dvorak eventually he needs the puck back. So I don't really see anybody in this lineup you know, maybe Hoffman, but I don't really see a great mix there. Like, I I just don't don't really see a match for him right now.
0: And that was, oh, we did lose Pete off of the off of the Zoom call. Hopefully we'll get him back. So everything's gonna be messed up looking for a second here. I don't want to mess with things too much. I'll switch over to one guest here and uh, hopefully Pete can get back in the room. But uh, yeah, so Dvorak I guess Jonathan Druin at the beginning of the season was kind of the puck carrier through the neutral zone distributor that he needed. But even before Druin got injured, it seemed like that line was starting to fall apart a little bit. And I think early in the year you saw, uh, you saw like the, the defensive play was there for Dvorak. Right. And now that's fallen off big time. Like, The defensive numbers are garbage (laughs) it's uh we got pete back we'll see if uh things work out here
1: Here are you back pete sorry yeah i'm back yeah i don't don't know what happened but
0: i i'm i'm here and now i can see you again so this is great (laughs) perfect (laughs) uh it's all chaos we gotta have the technical difficulties yeah so what we were talking about while you were out is uh you know jonathan druen was kind of the facilitator for dvorak at the beginning of the year the guy who was carrying it through the neutral zone and moving the puck for him. Now that he's out, not looking too great, but even before Duran was hurt, I think the defensive wheels had kind of fallen off for that line. So I think like when you're not producing and not like getting the high danger scoring chances, the defensive play against like maybe tough minutes, it's like something that you can lean on. But as far as like, if that's fallen off too, that's just a rough situation. <laughs> and one of the things that I wanted to ask, and I haven't
1: paid enough close attention, but like the Evans line, have they looked that bad the entire year? Or is it a pro- Is it a product of like matchups against the Bruins top line?
0: Uh, the the Evans, Lekin, and Armia line? They've yeah. actually been really strong whenever they've okay. been put together. Uh, they had a tough I, night tonight. Yeah. I mean, they are ideally a fourth line i think and they're playing like a third line right but oddly i think one of the biggest issues with the canadians so far this year is if if you look at like uh, the last stretch of 10 or so games they're quite high in terms of like expected goals and like control of shot attempts but most of that is coming from their third and fourth lines like their top two lines are still like the suzuki line is doing okay but the dvorak line is getting crushed and it's good to have the good overall numbers, but when all of that is coming from two lines that kind of control play but can't finish, that's why they're still losing, right That makes sense.
2: Well, I mean, it's like I, I actually looked up some some Bruin stats heading in, and like it, it seems like they're not getting the bounces at all this Oh this no, year. Yeah. what until Coil got it off his face.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I that think, maybe like, that's the moment that changes the Bruins season. Because honestly, I, like Pete, I was excited to have you on here because I was going to ask you, like, what the hell's been wrong with the Bruins yeah. this year? Because on paper, like they're by not the underlings, they're great. Yeah.
1: yeah, they're not getting any scoring from like outside of the top line, really. And 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 uh, I mean, second line to an extent, but like that's gone cold a little bit recently. They're not getting they're getting very little from the bottom six, which is a Uh, a frighteningly familiar scenario for this team. Um, But yeah, I think that like, I I, I looked it up last week and I think that their like expected goals percentage and rate was like third or something in the league, which that was stunning to me because this team has looked pretty thoroughly mediocre behind the top line for most of the season. Um,
0: It's just kind of the way that it is, but they haven't looked very good. Yeah, it's been... A weird season for the Atlantic Division overall, hasn't it? Like outside of the Panthers, pretty much everyone has started on the wrong foot. I guess you could say mm-hmm. not Detroit because they're expected to be bad, but uh, I. And but the they've Sabres been pretty good. Like, yeah, they've been all right, you know. But yeah. I mean, and then you look at Detroit. Every time they're playing in Canada, they're absolute garbage because they don't have Tyler Bertuzzi, and the whole lineup seems to collapse. So it's like. I mean, we, we've we asked before, like, how is that playing in the room? That's t- completely off topic for this. But like, you have to wonder how that's playing in the room that Bertuzzi won't get vaccinated and they've lost every game like that could keep them out of the playoffs. I'll tell you what, though, it's a great negotiation tool for for Tyler Bertuzzi <laughs> to be like, well, you see what you got without me. Uh, I'm pretty valuable here. Uh, is it, though? Because if you're Steve Eiserman, wouldn't you also be like, yeah, and you're purposely pulling yourself out of game? Right. I mean, it's
1: a double edged sword, <laughs> but like you could also say like, this is how important I am. It, that must be like somewhat nice for Tyler Bertuzzi to see everything go to hell if he doesn't
0: show up with the team. I just can't imagine like Jack from being in a professional hockey dressing room. How do you think that would play for like the players in the room? Like, obviously, they must like Bertuzzi a little because of how good he is. But to see a selfish choice like that end up impacting your team consistently, how does that play?
2: Yeah, I I mean, like, most of my experiences are with, like, really, like, minor things, like what players wear or, you know, what staff wear or, you know, who goes in what order to the lunch buffet. Like, like, those are the kind of things that I'm familiar with. So, like, like, this is just, like, another level.
0: Yeah, this is like crazy.
2: It's as I said, like this is just another another level. And like, you know, I I've gotten chewed out by, you know, people for like going to a lunch buffet too early, which if you know me well, like that's something that comes up once in a while. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but, you you know, like, uh, yeah, like this is just something completely, uh, completely different. And like you saw that eventually, you know, Mackenzie Blackwood, he came around and Duncan Keith before that came around. But I don't know.
1: We'll see what happens. Yeah, I wonder Here's if a, it changes if, if like, the, if, I don't expect it to happen, but, like, if Detroit sticks around and is on the bubble towards, you know, the middle or later part of the year and every point starts to matter a little bit more, does that situation change?
0: I don't know. I mean, if he, if he hasn't gone through with it at this point, like, Mackenzie Blackwood folded and actually did it, right? And... I think Bertuzzi's the lone holdout outside of if anybody has a fake vax card that we don't know about yet. We know about Evander Kane, but it's it's the NHL. There's probably at least another one somewhere out there, right? If it's not a player, it's like a trainer or a, a coach, maybe a goaltender coach who gets hired by an American Hockey League team and then fired the next day.
1: Somebody's uh, going to what? Aaron Rodgers, Doctor. <laughs> I mean,
2: regardless what happens, like like here's kind of how I would frame this. It's like you know you're on a team, and NHL teams are really tight knit. They're like your family, so you know twenty or thirty odd people that you see every day. You know they've gotten vaxxed. Um, nothing's re- nothing's happened, right? Uh, like you want to do this with love. You 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 want to you know find ways to bring them back to the fold, and and it's like you know, these are people that you're close to and that, you know, who, who, who depend on you. So ultimately that's gotta be the sales pitch and and whether the player buys it or not, like that's gotta be the sales pitch. So I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah. There's a wing fan in the chat saying the locker room has stood behind Bertuzzi with his private health decisions. Yeah. Publicly Mm. that, that doesn't mean anything, honestly. (laughs) It's just like, uh, you remember when there was all those rumors back in the day about Max Pacioretty and P.K. Subban hating each other, and they took photos in the locker room of them hugging each other, and it's like, it, it doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> like, right. What comes out publicly doesn't mean much from players. But, uh, yeah, so let's talk about the game a little bit more. Uh, Samuel Montembo. I thought he was really good in the second period, but he is maximum chaos in goal. <laughs>
1: I love those kind of guys, though. Like the entertainment value through the roof, and I'm starting to experience that a little bit more with Linus Olmark here too, as well. Like Linus Olmark is absolute chaos all the time, and it is, it's tough. It's tough as a fan, but like as a neutral observer, that can be real fun.
0: Absolutely, I just want to get more goalies bringing back like the two pad stacks. It's a terrible decision, but is it fun? Yeah. That's why everybody loves Marc-André Fleury, right? It's not necessarily that he's good, is that his goaltending style is absolutely wild.
1: Yeah, it's like a Tim Thomas type, too as well, like if to bring it back to the Bruins. And and like you know, that's why I think Tuukka Rask for a long 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 periods of time got uh an unfair amount of flack is because like he didn't have that flashy style. He wasn't making like a ton of these crazy athletic saves. Like he'd make them every once in a while, but like he didn't have to because he was technically sound and usually in good position. And so like he makes it look boring, but that's kind of the kind of goalie that you want for the sake of consistency and for the sake of having a winning a winning goaltender.
0: Yeah, I mean big time. I mean talking to people who've watched Carey Price for the last geez, how many years has it been now? 14 years. And going from watching Price, who's like very controlled in his movements, the rebounds go where he wants them to, to watching, even Jake Allen is a little bit chaotic compared to Carey Price, but Sam Montembeau, it's, uh, it's pretty wild back there, and I don't think that it, he was the reason why the Canadians lost tonight, I, I really don't think that he was even much of a factor in why the Canadians lost, I thought he was really strong, but he is very fun to watch play, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't really have any opinion because from what I remember when I watched him in junior, I thought Montebo was just like kind of your garden variety butterfly goalie, like bigger guy. Like he played for uh the Armada, like so so I've seen him I've seen him a few times and it's just he get like fifteen shots a game because they play shut down defense and I, I just didn't remember him really either like melting down and losing again by himself or you know, helping his team kind of win a game single handedly. So I don't know. Like, I, I just, I don't see anything in his game. That's really, you know, stands out to me. Yeah. I'm Sorry. I was just going to say, cause now um, Caden Primo's up, right? So, so, so I'm curious to see what he does because he, he has some good games against my teams in the AHL.
1: And I'll tell you, like, I'm, I'll be the first person to admit that it is so hard to evaluate and sort of uh, have takeaways as goaltending. Cause like goaltending is a complete mystery to me of so, so often, like I know when it's bad, when it's bad, you can, you like, the signs are there and you know, it's very easy to identify, but I do think there's like so many subtleties with goaltending that unless you play the position or unless you like really, really study the position and pour time and hours and go over film and really understand the mechanics it's a really hard position to evaluate. And like so much of it is what's in front of the goaltender. So much of it is bounces. And, um, you know, you know, for a guy like, you know, we talked about the, the contrast between a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price. It's like both of those guys can find success. The style doesn't necessarily dictate the success, but it, it does change the experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few comments saying that uh, they're not down with hating on the third goalie. I don't think anybody's hating on him. I I think that, like I said, I thought Montembo played well. Uh, somebody was saying that they had four expected goals tonight, and he allowed four. And one of them, I, you can't blame him for Jeff Petrie knocking it off of Charlie Coyle's face right. and going behind him. Like, What is he supposed to do? And then, like, Charlie Coyle's uh, second goal was ridiculous. That was such a snipe. Like, even if you're the best goalie in the world right now i don't know unless you've got real tall shoulders what you're going to really do about that it was perfectly placed right. it's like right beside his ear you know and you can as goaltender
1: you can't win the puck battle there
0: no no and i mean i'm not going to blame anybody for for the empty net goal either <laughs> you know like right. what can you do when it bounces off the linesman and like i understand uh gallagher getting so upset about that but that's just like it's clearly frustration about the way that things are going for the Canadians and way they went in that game, like some pretty bad bounces for them. Cause like, what is the linesman supposed to do? He tried to get out of the way. Like it was clear from the replay that he tried to duck and it was, <laughs> he just saw the puck too late. But I often wonder what, what's your guys' opinion on this? If a referee gets in the way of a puck 99% of the time, obviously a hundred percent of the time, it's going to be accidental, not even really a mistake. Right, it's just that that's going to happen. Should if it causes a change in possession, should it? Should they call the play dead? I don't
1: think so. I think I think I w- I would like to see whistles limited. Um, and, and uh, you know, again, it, it it I would say it rarely happens, and when it does happen, it's by accident. So like it it's you know I understand the thought process behind wanting to blow that dead for the sake of fairness, but. You know, I think it is what it is. It's part of the game. You know, If we want to have a discussion about whether the other team gets to fight the referee after that happens, maybe, maybe that that we, we there's entertainment value there. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I'm trying to limit whistles and and pauses between play.
0: What about you, Jack?
2: Yeah, so it, it if we look at a sport like tennis, let's say so the the linesman, and the, the, the ball boys or ball girls, they're considered part of the permanent fixtures of the court. So they're treated like chairs, basically. So if you run into uh, a lines person, then it's as if you run into a chair. Like, you, you fall over, you lose the point, uh, you know, doesn't matter, right? You still lose the point. And, and I think in most sports, that's kind of how referees are treated if they're, like, in the play. And, and it's, man, like, I can't even imagine how difficult it is to be a ref because if you're a player and – You know, you run into each other, no big deal, right? But as a ref, you're constantly on the lookout because you got people moving in front of you, moving behind you, and then the other really underrated thing is like different teams play differently. So you actually you got to know the system of the team a little bit. So if let's say you're 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 refing a team that uses the the glass a lot or uses the walls a lot to break out, you got to stand like either like you got to be ready to jump out of the way or like stand off the wall to let the path. Uh, let the puck go through you. Whereas if they like to get off the one, use the middle, you got to stand maybe more on the wall. Like these are like split second reads that you got to make, and then you got to skate to actually get out of the way. So, in some ways, I think in terms of reading the the game, it's hard to be a rep and be a player.
0: Yeah. I mean, all they're also like older than the average player for the most part, right? So they're not going to have as quick reflexes. They don't get to take shifts off, you know, like. It's got to be exhausting to be a referee, but here's, let's do a follow-up question because this is something that I've been kind of thinking about for a long time. Is there going to be a future in hockey where we have off-ice officials and maybe just like one ref on the actual ice?
1: I mean, I think I, it, it could possibly be done with the sake of like linesmen. Um, you know, I think that it's possible for that to be monitored off ice in certain ways, but I don't know. It's also, you know, it's been done for this way for this many years. And um, it's worked for the most part. So I don't know. I mean, it's the players it's, getting bigger and faster another. though. So we, so we make the refs and the linesmen <laughs> bigger and disappear. Faster too. <laughs> and if the players are getting bigger and faster, maybe eventually they become linesmen and they get bigger and faster as well.
2: I think it's going to happen. I think in our lifetime there's going to be uh, there's going to be kind of top level games where there are no refs on the ice. Whether it's drones, whether it's a camera system, whether it's uh, especially with betting being you know more more and more of a thing, like bettors are going to want these kind of you know unforeseen events to be minimized. So I think that's going to be the main impetus where maybe a Stanley cup gets won or lost because of a ref collision or whatever, or, you know, they're going to ask for, uh, you know, more kind of more in depth review, or they want the cost to be absolutely right. Because, you know, you have millions of dollars exchanging hands because of a coin flip call. Right. And, And I think that's going to be the driving factor behind
1: automating more or at least taking the human aspect out of it. But here's, here's a question there. It's like, uh, you know, how much are we going to have to talk about players policing themselves and, you know, taking justice into their own hands. If there aren't the on ice officials there to, to, to police that and keep them separated.
0: That's a good question, but also like how often in today's game are there like full on brawls? You know, I think you could kind of address that by penalizing scrums, which is something that I think should be done anyway. Like, I hate the after the whistle stuff. And I know, Pete, you probably love it because you're a Bruins fan. And I love love chaos. Like, (laughs) I love it.
1: As long as 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 it's controlled chaos. But I think that you need the officials and the linesmen and the the referees to have the controlled aspect a lot of the time.
0: Or you could just give like that one last official a taser. And then when he's walking in, he's actually got something up there. Like, all right, you break it up now or I'm going to. Well, if we're doing we off ice
1: officials, maybe like we, you like microchip the jerseys and it's sort of like a <laughs> shock collar for dogs and <laughs>
2: we're getting really dystopian here. I actually kind
1: of regret that take. It's, I it's, walk it's it back getting home. into we're Hunger Game Games here slash a- a- NHL.
0: The big head turns around. If you're still <laughs> scrumming <laughs> and I stop singing, uh, it could get a little bit chaotic for sure. But I think we're, we're heading towards a time in the NHL where like, There's less and less fighting. I know there was more last year, but I think that had to do with like getting more energy into the games because there was no fans. Uh, There's less fighting. There's no real like bench clearing brawls anymore. And even when there are, I feel like officials don't do a good job managing that anyway. Like when things get out of hand, they still do get out of hand. And when games get like highly emotional like that, and you start to get brawls, I feel like often that happens because the game has been mishandled where like one team has gotten away with too much or like a dirty hit goes unpunished and then the players feel like they have to do something crazy. So I I just wonder how much of that is just like, we're used to poor officiating or like bad game management and those things arise because of that. And so then we have to like have four officials on the ice. So I feel like at a certain point, they're not going to make the rinks bigger, right? Because then you're losing se- you're losing seats. Everything's built for this standard NHL size. Players getting bigger, the game's getting getting faster. Four extra guys on the ice is a, is a lot. Like uh, even if it's just taking one linesman off or one referee off, and then you add two or three off ice officials that can e- either talk in a headpiece to the refs on the ice to tell them like you missed this, you got to call this or they can like blow a whistle that goes over the arena speaker, something, you know, like it just seems like that's where we're headed at a certain point. They're going to minimize how many guys are on the ice.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens, but, but actually I I was thinking about this when we are talking about Montembeau, but I read something really wild today that I don't even, I'm not even a hundred percent sure it's true, but uh, apparently he's the first uh Quebec born goalie to play for the Habs since Mark Denis in 2010. Something like that. And yeah. like, like the last starting goaltender for the Habs was, was Jose Theodore. It's been like 15 years.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Like, isn't that yeah, it's wild? Been
0: it's been well. I feel like, like the whole Quebec goalie pipeline has been dried up for a long time now. Like, it, it hasn't been what it used to be. Now it's all like Finland had their stretch. Uh, Russia is now like the, the goalie pipeline. I think BC had a stretch for goaltenders with like, Ho- uh, no Holtby is from Saskatchewan. Somebody have just been like Western hockey league, uh, hope price, a couple other guys. I think, uh, Corey Crawford, I guess came out of Quebec, but he had a weird career where like he won his Stanley cup championships when he was not very good. And then when the Blackhawks started to suck, he was great and he kind of held them up odd career for Corey Crawford. But yeah, not a lot of Quebec goaltenders okay. in the league anymore.
1: I also feel like American goaltenders are kind of having a moment at at right now. And there're like a, a lot of pretty good uh, you know, current NHL goaltenders that uh in American, but the the pipeline is also pretty good.
0: Yeah, Jack Campbell, John Gibson, pretty strong Connor Halibut, arguably right. the best in the league. Yeah, like Spencer Knight. And, yep, you know Jeremy Swayman. Like, who's that? Sorry,
1: <laughs> just just the guy who beat the
0: Habs tonight. <laughs> did he did. Did he have to do that much after the first period, though, Pete? I mean, in the no, in the game no. that you watched, no, definitely. missing the first period, he didn't do. Didn't have to do that much. But yeah, he was all right. He was all right. Um, so- I can't tell you guys how much better it is to be able to drink a, a bit of water in between talking on this show because the last one, like I have a bit of a, like a scratchy throat at the end of a sore throat. And we did the hot ones gauntlet last night. So I couldn't drink the whole time. Went like a full hour (laughs) without taking a drink. And it was extraordinarily tough. But uh, overall, I got to tell you guys, hot ones gauntlet is not that bad. There's only two sauces that were really bad. We actually got a question from the discord was saying that if the canadian season was one of the hot sauces from the hot ones gauntlet which one would it be and uh, i have to say it would be like if you would have asked me two weeks ago i would have said like de bomb because it's just disgusting it's not good Horrible. doesn't taste good but they're actually playing decently right now so i'd have to say i forget the name of the sauce but it's like the ninth sauce it's like it's hot it's unpleasant but it's not that bad not amazing it's just okay
1: I don't know. I I feel like it could be de bomb if things continue.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the record is de bomb, that's for sure. Right? It's yeah.
1: It's awful. Which is hilarious to like just out of context, like their record is de bomb. It sounds like <laughs> a good thing, but in context, <laughs> but it's, it's horrible. It's the worst <laughs> thing it could possibly be. De bomb is vile.
0: It is so bad. So bad. And we didn't even have the one that they actually use in the show because they don't sell from their website hot sauces with pepper extract in them and that's apparently what makes the one that they use super disgusting. It just tastes awful. So we had one that was called De Bomb Evolution. And it was still the worst one in terms of taste. It wasn't good. But in terms of heat, the last dab was definitely the worst one. But even that one after about 10 to 15 minutes was perfectly fine. But we like me and Julian both had like a pretty serious head rush for like an hour and a half after so I feel like if you were to toast off like five or six last dab wings, then I feel like you'd be in serious, serious trouble.
1: Well, I feel like from my experience with those kind of hot sauces, the problem is after you eat it, like even the act of breathing or the speaking, the, the wind that comes out of and into yes. your mouth just reactivates it and it burns like crazy. So anything you try to do or talk about is horrible. It just makes it so much worse.
0: Yeah, that was definitely the experience that we had as well. And if you get it on your lips, oh man, oh yeah, it's bad. Jack, how are you with spicy food?
2: Uh, so so I I once did the the uh, the ghost pepper wing challenge at McKibben's on Bishop. Ate all twelve. It took years off my life. Do not recommend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, I feel like the hot ones gauntlet because it's a gradual thing and it's only ten wings. Like the if we would have done it faster, it probably would have been a lot worse because we did it over the course of an hour space it out a little bit. But like, if you were to just do 12 actual hot wings, I think it's actually a lot worse than the gradual incline of doing the hot ones gauntlet. So like, there's a reason why it's been years since anyone tapped out on the actual show, not to disrespect YouTube royalty, but at a certain point, if no one's tapping out, I think it's doable for most people.
1: But you also have to consider the fact that like, they're, they're only doing one wing, but they're also conducting an interview at the exact same time. So you have to think and you have to speak and it's hard.
0: Yes, it is definitely hard. I mean, it was hard to do a stream and try to like, remember what you were (laughs) going to ask the person. And I have massive respect for Sean Evans who hosts it and does that like once a week for the last five, six years. That's that's dedication.
2: Yeah, and and the thing I I would add for any kind of uh, spicy enthusiast out there is, it's it's very similar to playing the NHL in the sense that once you hit thirty, your ability to tolerate spice goes down. <laughs> so if you're in your twenties right now, enjoy it, but not too much. I'm thirty-two and I'm already feeling it. So so just you know be kind to your future self and and don't don't go overboard with this ghost
1: pepper stuff. It's like it's like a the hangover where it's you know. You can you can do it, but it's going to it's going to linger with you for a longer period of time than
0: when you were younger. Yep, absolutely. And like I, I'd never even had a ghost pepper before yesterday. And then you look at like the ninth bottle and it's like the first ingredient is Carolina Reaper. And you're like, shit. (laughs) This is not going to be fun, but it was all right. Uh, So Alan's out. Petrie's at fault for that one. He kind of directed Dylan Larkin into him. It was a bad play. I feel like he was trying to push him into the far post and miss Allen, but it didn't work. Then he wrecks the game tonight. His underlying numbers have actually come up a lot in the last couple of weeks here. I feel like he's been working his game a lot better, but Jack for specifically for you, what the hell is going on with Jeff Petrie? Because I feel like he's, the number one enemy right now for Canadians Twitter. And I don't know if it's necessarily justified, but uh, he's not doing himself any favors either.
2: So, so what we've done is we we've taken the whole city. uh, We've moved it to Edmonton and then we moved it back eight years (laughs) to 2014 because like, this is exactly what drove Jeff Petrie out of town in Edmonton was he was the best defenseman on a terrible team that had very little depth and, he was the guy making all the mistakes because he was the guy that was supposed to play in all situations, make plays, don't make mistakes, keep guys boxed out. Like, I mean, like, like what? What do you expect him to do, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: And that—that's kind of been my talking point the whole year. But I feel like there's also a bit of an injury concern because his puck handling has not been great. I know uh, Mike Johnson pointed out on the broadcast that last year he was getting about 50% of his shot attempts on net this year it's down under 25% which is pretty drastic and like small sample size we're not even at the 20 game mark but we're close to the 20 game mark
2: yeah like has he been taking slap shots at all or
0: a couple but not very often
2: so so maybe there's something there or maybe it's just because he's getting all the pucks in more difficult spots because his teammates aren't able to create any space before moving it to him. So it's like kind of like a last minute kind of low to high play, or they're just throwing it over to him. And you know, like there, there's not really any kind of advantage built up before he touches the puck. And now he's, he's got to throw it on net, or he's got to purposefully throw it into the corner just so that it doesn't hit a shin pad. So so it could be that it it, it just could be a, a symptom just overall of like the team not really creating anything.
1: Can I interest you guys in a slightly used Derek Forbert? He's got two goals this year, and he's a pure sniper.
0: Yeah, he uh, had that nice uh, net rush earlier in the game today.
1: He has his moments. He has his moments, but, oh, boy, he is not the, uh, the quality of, uh, of defenseman that I was hoping that they would acquire this, this, uh, this summer to pair with Charlie McAvoy. But uh, I think you know this was a really interesting game for the Bruins side of things where you saw what it can look like when you hit on a defensive draft pick and in Charlie McAvoy, who had a great game. And then you can, you also saw like where they've missed with a Jake, uh, Jacob Zaboral, who had a tough game. Jacob Zaboral has had a rough stretch and seeing him constantly whiff on trying to throw the body is pretty painful
0: yeah I was gonna tweet during the game that you can't convince me that Zaborro is a real person
2: <laughs> he he He's our favorite pizza joint in New York, right' <laughs> oh man
1: You're gonna get me a New York slice
2: <laughs> no but 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 on a more serious note um w- what's going on with Mike Riley? I was looking forward to watching him tonight and then
1: I hear that he's being healthy, He's crashed yep yeah it's uh he is he's looked pretty rough at the uh at the outset. He has had some really, really tough sequences and tough games. And it seems to be like he's the kind of player who can get in his own head. Like if one thing goes wrong, it's not often where you kind of see him get out there and shake it off on the next shift. He seems to compound his mistakes quite a bit. And it's it's it can be tough to watch.
0: Yeah, that's the Mike Riley that I remember from when he was a Montreal (laughs) Canadiens. This, uh, the incredible year that he had in Ottawa last year and then transferring that over to the Bruins, I, that was a shocker to me. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be like in the perfect position for both teams. And then I, I guess he just couldn't carry it over to the next year, which is unfortunate because you always want to see a guy figure their game out, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's unfortunate that it hasn't been the start that he's wanted. Were you guys kind of surprised at how much? like intensity there was in this game, because it's the first Habs Bruins game in a long time. And this rivalry, I think we can be honest and say it it isn't what it used to be in like the mid 2010s, right? Like that was actually super intense. They were two good teams that every time they locked horns, it was going to be like, you're, you're circling that game on the calendar. I wasn't sure what to expect of this one. It's the second half of a back to back for both teams, but there was a lot of like post whistle stuff. There was, Some big hits, you know, Romanov was throwing them out there. McAvoy was throwing them out there. There was some big neutral zone hits. Like it was, I was pretty shocked at how much intensity these two teams had because they don't have many carryover players from those years where they were at each other's throats all the time.
1: Yeah, it was good to see. And and like, I was, I was happy with it. Like, like you said, I, I didn't know what to expect. And there's not a lot of reason. For there to be hate, like even they obviously haven't seen each other in a while, but like even when you the last time that they did see each other, it feels like they've been pretty different places for a long time. Like it's been a while since the the Bruins and the Habs have been very competitive at the exact same time, at least in the same division and like feeding into that rivalry. So uh I was really disappointed that, that it, they weren't they weren't able to meet last year, especially with you know, seemingly the Montreal turning a corner and the Bruins still being competitive. So uh, having the juice sort of reinjected tonight felt really good as, as far as like a first meeting and, and being able to continue that.
2: Yeah. It, it looked like Josh Anderson is now like the, the new guy that every Bruin wants to, wants to kill. Cause, cause I, yes. I must've seen him take like five hits and dodge like five more. And I think I think a one sequence like he dodged a hit and then the Habs went down and scored. There was that Pizetta goal, I think. I, yeah, I, I think you're right. Defense. And it it just it reminded me so much of 2014, like just that sequence because, like I was working for the Habs that year and you know I was watching the games from the press box and whether it was PK Subban or Dale Weiss or Alexi Emelin, like it just looked like the Bruins so wanted to kill them and. You know they hit ten posts, whatever. But then they ended up losing that series, and, and it just looked like the Bruins, like they they had it. But then they just, for whatever reason, they wanted to win the game, and then also like kill every house player on the ice.
0: That is that is the Bruins at at their best and their worst. Right? Is when they're acting that way. It's like they have that swagger of we're going to beat you on the scoreboard and in, and in the streets, but it can get away from them. And I feel like that's like over time. The Canadians have been the best team at, at taking advantage of that against the Bruins is getting them off their game by making them chase guys around and try to hurt people. But th- this Canadians team doesn't have the talent, I don't think, to to punish the Bruins that way. I mean, in this game, they couldn't draw penalties either.
2: Yeah, like the the, the thing that continues to really trouble me is... I didn't see Nick Suzuki make any plays off the rush. Like a lot of it was he would sort of try a solo play, but then realize that it was probably not a percentage, a percentage play. And he would just dump in it. Like I, I never saw him kind of take guys, whether it's one-on-one or one-on-two. Um, and I think it's smart, but you know, as as a number one center, like that continues to worry me because that tells me that you got to surround him better. and, you know, he—I—I he, I don't think he was really a spark plug in terms of just his play. So, so that's the—the the thing that, like, I think if Suzuki is able to put this team on his, um, put this team on his back, like, that's going to inject a lot more kind of flavor to this rivalry as well. Because I think we saw Josh Anderson do it at points. Um, I think Petrie has to do it, regardless of whether he wants it or not. But, but Suzuki was a guy that I was really looking for tonight, and I didn't really see him.
0: Yeah, that's that's true and unfortunate. He's been the offensive catalyst for them for the last several weeks now, but he didn't uh, get many looks tonight for whatever reason. I don't know if he just wasn't feeling it. I feel like Suzuki, his, at his best this season, has been with Gallagher, and I know they've had to do a lot of line shuffling with all the injuries, but I wonder if they go back to that as soon as Drouin's back in the lineup.
2: Did did Hoffman play tonight? Because I
0: no. I <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I, that's kind of been the story of him. You don't know if he has or hasn't. But uh, Moritz Seider jumped into a check in the last game and like knocked him in the head with an elbow, which okay. was it was like really obvious when it happened. And for whatever reason, the refs were like, "It's okay." <laughs> and I yeah, he's out with uh, I would presume a concussion.
2: Yeah, because because I actually I I, I liked. Suzuki's offense with Hoffman because those two guys can read off each other and Suzuki ends up down low and then Hoffman's more of a shooter up like higher in the zone. And there's like Toffoli is another guy like that. But then, you know, there's not many players on this team that I think are really great partners for Suzuki. It's like, imagine if if you're Boston and you took away Pasternak and Marchand. Well, Bergeron is not going to be the same guy. Like, he's still going to make the percentage play, but now all of a sudden... The percentages have shifted to such an extent that everything's gonna be a dump pit. So, so so that's the kind of like that's how I, I look at it. Like if you got them two all star wingers, they're gonna be fantastic. But if if you if you get them kind of two run the mill, middle six or bottom six guys, like like this is what you get.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Bergeron's a uh, UFA at the end of the year, right? we're not talking about it.
1: <laughs> uh don't even go there. There's already like there's already talk around here about whether uh like he's going to consider retirement. I think that like the crazy thing really kind of shook everybody to their core where they're like it's going to happen with anybody moving forward now. Like yep. if somebody just wants to to call it, they can call it and uh you know, the team won't be ready to respond. So there's already talk about, about Bergeron uh, possibly calling it after this year.
0: I'd be shocked because he's still so good, but I'd also respect it, you know? But I feel like th- the Bergeron thing is such an interesting dynamic because I know he grew up as a Nordiques fan, but because he's from Quebec, everyone here just assumes that if the Bruins weren't able to like meet his salary demands that the Montreal Canadiens like have to be in on him. I would very much love to see a world where Patrice Bergeron does not sign with the Bruins or the Montreal Canadiens just to read the incredibly spicy takes here in French media, because you have to know that if he were to go to unrestricted free agency, the Canadians would definitely be backing up the Brinks truck of money to try to bring him in because it, it's probably the worst time to possibly sign him because it's at the precipice of when he should be falling off and he just hasn't. But it's the Listen, kind of opportunity know, that you can't miss if it's there. Right.
1: Right. And we know that NHL GMs quite often will pay players based on what they've already done and not yes. what they project to do in the lifetime of the contract that they're handing out. So, you know, I don't, I certainly wouldn't expect that to be prohibitive.
0: Definitely not. And like what, what's, Bergeron making now. I know he's on a ridiculously friendly contract because I yeah, remember when yeah, he signed I it, I was extremely mad.
1: Six point seven or something? Or absurd.
0: Like that That's absurd. I think it's in that area. Let's have there, have there has there been any talk friendly. about what he wants for the next contract? No. So yeah, you he's know? six point eight seven five right now. That is
1: completely absurd. Which Posternak making less six point six. He's also the highest paid, <laughs> highest paid player on that line at six point eight seven five.
0: I don't know how the Bruins pulled that off, but it is the heist of the century.
1: So that's that's been um, that's Don Sweeney. Like I have my gripes with the way Don Sweeney you know manages this team, but like the one thing that you can't argue with has been his ability to convince players to buy in and stick around for less than market value, and he's done that several times over, and it has really helped the team in terms of cap structure. Now, has he used the the money that he saved appropriately? There's a different discussion there. But, you know, him getting guys to buy in for less
0: than market value has been a strength. Yes, it's like even more so than what the Lightning have been able to do. It's it's crazy how valuable those contracts are. It's annoying, Pete. It's really annoying. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll probably start wrapping it up here, but uh, we had another question from the Discord, which was, uh, was the third period the Canadians just running out of gas? Uh, No, I think it was that things went against them after they either ran out of gas or got run out of the building in the second period. I don't think it had anything to do with being being tired. Both teams were on the second half of a back-to-back.
1: Yeah, here's a better question. Is this season the Canadians running out of gas? (laughs) I mean,
0: I think that's more valid because you look at every team that made the conference final last year and that short gap between seasons, all of them have kind of started off terrible. Like, even the Colorado Avalanche only made the second round. Look at what they're doing right now. Like, I know they won their last one, but that's been a rough start to the season as well. So maybe there's part of that, but I think the Canadians also lost a lot of important players and didn't replace them with... Anything special?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and and for for all the talk about Boston's number one line, I mean, for me, I I just cannot fathom. Like last year, the Habs could roll out something that was maybe ninety five percent as good at five on five, which is either one of you know Shea Weber or Jeff Petrie with either one of their partners, and then the Tatar No Gallagher line. And the reason I think why they they don't get a lot of plays, first of all, um, they don't play as much, but second of all, like they're just not as good on the power play, so they don't really get the counting stats. Yes, but um, you know, like the Habs don't have that anymore.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it was probably the right move to not sign Tatar. It was like the right time to move on from a player like that at, at that point in their career. But the Dano one definitely stings, and you look at how well he's playing with the Kings and what he's been able to do for Anzi Kopitar by taking the tough minutes. And it's, it looks pretty bad right now, especially when the guy that they brought in to ostensibly replace both him and Kokaniemi and Christian Dvorak has been floundering to a ridiculous degree. Um Let's see. Last one. There was a question here in the YouTube chat. Somebody was saying like uh the reason why they lost was that uh Ducharme didn't get Suzuki away from the Bergeron line. He was trying. I like, I'm all, I, I'm not afraid to criticize Dominic Ducharme, but how much can you really hammer a coach for not getting their preferred matchup on the road?
1: And I, what I was looking at, uh, Evans, Evans line seemed to have a, a good amount of time against, against the Bergeron line. So I think like, like you said, he he tried.
0: Yeah. Like there's only so much that you can do. You don't have control over that on play stoppages. So, if you're like they tried to manage that, especially in the third period, you notice right away that they did that quick line change, and the Bruins are like, "Well, we'll just do that too." And, like it becomes a a game of who can line change quicker, and at a certain point, that can catch you as bad as having the wrong matchup, right? Like if you just make one mistake or line change at a bad time, and the puck bounces a certain way, so that's a a mugs game too. It it can be tough. Um, before we close this out uh first jack and then pete tell us what you got going on and where we can find you so
2: the best way to find me is on twitter uh j G- h uh, a n h k y so once you get there you can sign up for my free newsletter uh, where i talk about tactics so if you're a casual fan uh, a hockey player a parent um, really i would say the best place online to, to learn a lot about the X's and O's of the game from
1: a former pro hockey coach uh, you can find me at Twitter, just my name, Pete Blackburn. Uh, I, all my writings and video stuff is for ballysports.com. Um, and yeah, I've got like podcasts and Twitch stuff on the side, but hockey stuff, ballysports.com.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys. We'll uh, end it here. And thanks everyone for tuning in on another loss on the weekend. We'll see you again next Habs game. And I'll have some more fun guests